Well, good morning, um, Coastline family. Good morning. And then good morning to those of you um, watching online, joining us online. Really thankful that you guys are here with us. Um, before we get into God's word this morning, I wanted to just take a moment since we just watched the um, VBS video. I wanted to st uh, just take a moment this morning and to acknowledge, to recognize those who helped out, those who spent so much time um, investing in our kids this week. And if you guys don't know, it didn't just show up like this. We didn't just show up on Wednesday and, you know, things, um, things looked like that. There was a lot of hours and a lot of time spent behind the scenes in preparation to uh, get this event um, to happen. And so real quickly, um, just want to kind of let you guys know what happened behind the scenes. So if you were with us for the past couple months, we were talking about, hey, if you want to be involved in VBS, there's meetings. And, and so during those meetings, people took on responsibilities to be able to uh, make VBS what it was this year. And, and so, um, you know, there were uh, women, I know Michelle, Yesenia, Karen, who for the past week prior to VBS gave up their evenings to come and, and be here. Um, I've told you guys the story before. Um, when I, sometimes if I come at night, especially if I'm gonna stay here at Coastline at night, I always feel weird leaving when it's dark outside. And so one time I called Anthony and I was like, hey, I feel weird walking in my car. And anyways, so um, Anthony, that's how he got the name Midnight Muscles because he came one time and helped walk me to my car. But these ladies, they were coming and staying some nights till midnight, um, 12.30 um, in the morning just to be able to do these things and get this place ready. And so I'm just super thankful. I know um, our crafts area, I know Tina, Cynthia, who else? Huh? Yesenia. Oh, Yesenia's a double dipper. So uh, Yesenia um, over there, I know Stacy and Chloe and all the teachers um, involved in activities and everything else, Eliezer and and obviously the worship team, Arlen with the sound, and if I didn't um, recognize you guys, oh, Justin was the muscles of the, um, he was the security for VBS this year, so there's all sorts of people. Um, t-shirts, Alex Costa and Rufino here in the front row um, making the t-shirts. I'm sorry, my, my man over here, Enrique, with the flag. You, you guys remember the flag, guys? Okay, so I mean, Everybody jumping in and everybody obviously um, helping. And I also want to say real quickly that um, as a pastor, it's very rare that you ever get to have an event at church and completely be hands off. And so for me, this was one of those things where I was actually able to just um, come in and be blessed and hang out and... Um, and a lot of that came because God has brought just some amazing people and some amazing families and parents and servants to our church. And so just wanted to thank you guys real quick. And the people that headed up this event was, uh, they were Pastor Sam and Krishana. So real quick, let's just give it up for them real quick because they headed this up. They're the ones that um, came and shared the vision with Christina and I of, of what they wanted to do. And from there, they just kind of took it 
and ran with it with the team that the Lord gave to them. So real quick, just thank you guys for just blessing um, our kids here. So real quick, let's give it up to the Lord one more time this morning. All right, and because everyone works so hard, everybody gets the whole week off this week, okay? So no VBS, no grow groups, no marriage groups. Everybody just hang out, chill, relax. And then I want to remind you guys that we'll be back the following Wednesday evening with um, grow groups and then the following Friday evening with our marriage group. But this week, you guys chill, you guys relax, go on a date or do something. But enjoy your guys' this week this week. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 16? 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're almost done. We're almost through 2 Samuel. And so I just want you guys to know we're about three to four weeks away from finally um, getting through uh, the Samuel books. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Well, let's start at verse 5 this morning. It says, Now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at um, all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Verse 7, also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. Now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Verse 9, then Abishai the son of this man named Z, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Verse 10, But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? Verse 11, And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See, how my son came from my own body and seeks my own life. How much more now may this Benjamin let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. For this morning, God, thank you for just this time that you've given to us to be able to sit and study this passage. We pray that you would take, Lord, the truths of of this text. And God, would you teach us the truths of this text? But Lord, we also pray that you would teach us the lessons, the practical lessons of this text. And Lord, we just thank you and we love you. And Lord, we know, God, that you're going to do a good work this morning. So we're ready. We're ready to hear from you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Start with me in verse 5. It says, now when King David, I'm going to stop right there. 
Real quickly, if you have your pen, pencils, highlighters, in verse 5, I want you to underline these three words. When King David. When King David. I think it's important for us to recognize that the Holy Spirit in this writing still acknowledges David as the king of Israel. You guys see, most of the nation has now sided with Absalom, and most of the people there in Israel no longer see David as their king. But no matter what man says about David, it's important how God sees David, and God still sees David as king. And so if you've been with us the past several Sunday mornings, we've been watching as David's son Absalom has come. He's undermined his father, and he's now setting himself up to take over the throne. He's setting himself up to take over the position and take over his dad's power. And as all this is happening, slowly, people, the people of Israel, are turning their back on David, and they're following his son Absalom. And so you might, at that particular time, heard people talk about how David is no longer king. David is now our ex-king, or our former king. Most people, when they mention David at this time, they probably refer to him in terms other than him being their king. But for me, one of the things that God really spoke to me this week was in these simple three words, when King David. So if everybody else looks at David and says, you're not my king, you're the ex-king, you're the former king. Absalom is now king, he's our king, he's on the throne. God jumps in and he wants to remind us, no, David is king. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter what the world around them is saying about David or how they see him. David is still my king, God would say. Even at the start of David's story in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you guys remember David's father Jesse and David's brothers saw David as nothing more than a little shepherd boy out playing on the field. Remember that whole scene? There they were, they, Samuel came, he was going to anoint the next king, and David wasn't even invited to walk the stage or to go before Samuel to see if he was the Lord's anointed. You see, everyone else was looking and saying, David is just this, David is just that. And yet from the very beginning, from the very moment of his anointing, God saw a king. God saw a man with an anointing on his life. God saw a man that he was going to appoint as the next king of Israel. Obviously, the word for us this morning is this. Many people will have many opinions about you and I. They might even label us certain things. They might even say, hey, that's so-and-so, or that person is known as this, or they're known as that. But what really matters is how God sees us. What really matters is what God sees when he looks at you and he looks at me. And so the, the world can place labels on us. They might say this about us. But what does God say about us? What does God say when he sees us? And according to our text here, starting in our story this morning here in verse 5, 
God looks at David and God says, I still see a king. And so here in verse 5, he looks, he says, now when King David, David is still the king. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you struggle with. But I'm sure this morning that there might be some of us here who struggle, who battle with what people say about us, who struggle with how people see us. Well, I want to remind you guys this morning that if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he sees you as a Christian. I want to remind you guys this morning, if you've confessed your sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, which means he sees you as forgiven. So although most saw David as an ex-king, a man on the run, a refugee with no home, here in verse 5, it's clear. God saw David as the king of Israel. Let's keep reading verse 5. It says, now when King David came to Baharim, we're going to stop there. And so David the king, he's making his way. He's fleeing. You guys remember Jerusalem. He's headed east toward the Jordan River. And he's hoping to eventually find safety and refuge out in the wilderness. Now, while he's on this journey from Jerusalem to wilderness, he passes through a city named, named Baharim. And it's in this city that David encounters a man by the name of Shimei. Let's read about Shimei, verse 5. It says, There was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. It says, He came out cursing continuously as he came. Verse 6, And he threw stones at David and at the, all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. And so as David is passing through Baharim, there's this man, Shimei. As you can tell by verses 5 and 6, Shimei is not a fan of David. And so God maybe saw David still as king, but Shimei was one of those people who saw David as less than the king now at this point. In fact, according to verse Five, we're told a few things about Shimei. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write them down. The first thing we see about this man who's cursing, throwing stones at David was, it says in verse 5, that he was from the house of Saul. This is another way of saying that he was a descendant of the former king of Israel, Saul. What, com what connected Shimei to Saul was that they were both Benjamites. If you're taking notes in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, we're told that Saul was a Benjamin. And then here in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, and 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 16, we're told that Shimei is a Benjamin. And so you see the connection. He's from the house of Saul. Now, there are a couple reasons why this Benjamite, why this man Shimei might not have been fond of David as king. The first reason was that Saul was the king that tried to murder David. You guys remember most of 1 Samuel is Saul's pursuit of David. So no doubt there were still those who were related to Saul that would have hated David. 
that would have blamed David for many things. And so no doubt this man who's connected, who's affiliated, the sin of Saul, still has this hatred toward David. And the other reason, the second reason why this man most likely was not fond of King David was that David was the man who replaced Saul on the throne of Israel. So you could say that David was the reason why the throne was taken from that family. So no doubt there were those still within the family who probably resented David. And so here he is, David's coming through his city, and he's just cursing, and he's throwing stones, and he just has this dislike of David. But many people... There's many people who don't like people, right? But a lot of times you don't curse them. You don't throw stones at them. And yet this man took his dislike of David to another level. According to verse 5, we just talked about it a moment ago, it says he came out cursing David. So David's walking by. David's coming through the city, and this man just starts cursing David at him. In fact, take a look at the specifics of the cursing in verse 7. It says, also Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. Verse 8, it says, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son, so now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Here in verses 7 and 8, we see that there are two very powerful declarations, or you could say accusations, that Shimei makes during his cursing of David. The first thing, the first part of his cursing, if you're taking notes, is he declares to David, number one, David, you are a bloodthirsty man. And not only does he say it once within our text, but he says it twice. You are a bloodthirsty man. And what he means by this is, what he's saying is, David, you are responsible for the death of Saul and you're responsible for the deaths of those within the family of Saul. And so everything that's happened since Saul has left the throne, this man is looking toward David and he's saying, you're at fault. You're a bloodthirsty man. You're a rogue. You've gone off on your own and you've done this whole thing. Everything that has happened in our family, David, you are responsible for it. Now, let's go back to a quick story. Let's go back to 1 Samuel real quick and answer this question. Was David a bloodthirsty man? Well, most of you guys remember when we were studying through the text, the reality was that on multiple occasions there in 1 Samuel, David could have taken the life of Saul, right? I mean, we read it. In fact, there are two instances recorded in Scripture where David was there one time in the cave, you guys remember, where David could have taken the life of Saul, where the Lord actually delivered Saul into the hands 
of David. And what happened? Was David bloodthirsty? Was David a man trying to take the throne away from Saul and from Saul's family? Actually, it was the complete opposite, wasn't it? As David had the opportunity to take Saul's life, David refused. David, you guys remember, we're told he refused to touch the Lord's anointed. He spared Saul's life. And so you have this man making this declaration, you are a bloodthirsty man, and yet we can come back to Scripture and refute that accusation, can't we? Number two, the second declaration that Shimei makes against David is he says this. He says, the Lord is behind Absalom's betrayal of David. He says, all of this that's going on, the Lord is behind it. It's sad when someone's convinced that what they are doing is supported by God. It's sad that when someone who does evil against someone else or when evil is taking place, that somehow a person can convince themselves that it is supported by God. You see, here in verse 8, Shimei is convinced that everything that is happening in David's life, including David being betrayed by his son, David now being on the run from his son, all of it was supported by God. And on top of it, he also believed that his cursing of David was supported by the Lord. In fact, in verse 8, I want you guys to notice this with me. Take a look at it real quick. Two times this phrase is mentioned, the Lord has. The Lord has. What he's saying essentially is the Lord has brought upon you all the blood. And then again in verse 8, it says, The Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. It's very bold that Shimei is essentially speaking out on behalf of God. He's pretty much saying, God wants you to know. Or what he's really saying here is, Thus says the Lord, God is punishing you. This is God's doing. And of course, that's not true. And of course, these are not God's words. Would you give me your eyes for a moment, church? We need to make sure that we are careful not to put words in God's mouth. Two times this man says, the Lord has, the Lord did, the Lord is doing. He's speaking for God. When Christine and I were dating early on in our relationship, we were dating, and I mean, ever since we started dating, I, I knew that she had this desire to go away to Bible college. I mean, it was one of the things that was on the table from the very beginning when I first met her. One day when I graduate, I'm going to Bible college. And I said, okay, well, we're not there yet. You know, I can probably talk her out of that, you know. And so we're dating, and and so, you know, we started to get further on in our relationship. And the day came where she graduated and she said, I'm moving to Temecula and I'm going to Bible college for two years. And I felt like I had to stop it. 
you know, we were dating. So I showed up one day, and I told her that God spoke to me. And in God speaking to me, God had told me to tell her she was not supposed to go to Bible college. And of course she knew that this was just a little broken-hearted boy, didn't want to lose her for two years. What if some more spiritual, handsome guy at Bible college came and stole her away from me? I mean, all, all the things that were going through my mind. And, but I was right there in front of her. God told me this. God gave me this word for you. And what did Christina do? She went and she told our pastor. She went to our pastor and she said, Pastor, I, I, I really feel like God's calling me to Bible college. And then, you know, you got this pathetic loser that I'm in a relationship with over here who's also try, who's now trying to tell me that God's not calling me to Bible college. What do I do with the guy? You know, what, what do I do with this little pathetic boy? And so he calls me into his office. He, we were both on staff, that's why. So he calls me into his office. He pulls me aside, and he looked at me. And he, he, was, he was pretty scary. And so he looked at me, and he said, Randolph, did God really tell you that Christina's not supposed to go to Bible college? Well, I'm not sure. My, my heart tells me that I don't want her to go to Bible college. You know, I'll really miss her. And he said, he looked at me, he said, no, no, no. Did God tell you to tell her that she's not supposed to go to Bible college? And I said, well, no. I was like 19 at the time. He's like, no. He said, well, then why would you tell her Thus says the Lord, you shall not go to Bible college. And I was like, well, because I don't want to lose her. And he looked at me. And I thought we were going to have one of those father-son moments where he was going to hug me and tell me it was all going to be okay. And you're a really handsome guy. She'll wait for you. Or I, I, I don't know what I was expecting from him at that moment. But instead of love, he gave me more tough love. He looked at me. And he almost had this finger thing. I remember this finger thing. He looked at me and he said, don't you ever. I'm like, where's the hug? He said, don't you ever say thus says the Lord if God hasn't really spoken. He says, don't ever say those words. Don't ever try and speak on behalf of God if God really didn't say it. And I'll tell you guys, I walked out of that place and I went and I found Christina wherever she was, and I said, um, I think you're supposed to go to Bible college. <laughs> Why? Well, because God really didn't say it. It was just me, you know, and I got all emotional and everything. But I'll never forget those words. Don't you ever say, thus says the Lord, if God hasn't spoken. And when I look at this man, Shimei, making these statements, well, the Lord has, the Lord did, the Lord is doing, the Lord is speaking. In reality, the things that were coming out of his mouth, the statements that he was making about the Lord, they were not factual. We need to be extremely careful not to speak for God when God is actually silent about something. Now, there's one more point that I want to make about this cursing that was taking place. Not only was God not behind the cursing, God's word was against or is against the cursing. 
You see, in fact, the cursing that Shimei did was in violation of God's word and how God's word says a leader is to be treated. Would you write this verse down? Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. Exodus 22, 28 says these words, Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. You see, God's word was very clear that the rulers of Israel were to be given special protection. When you're a leader, especially a leader that God has appointed, people will naturally come against you, and God wants to protect his rulers. There's just something about when God wants to do something in your life or God is doing something through your life that people hate it. I got a phone call recently from someone who said, hey, there's this one guy and he's talking about you. I'm like, what What did I do? I haven't seen this person in years. Yeah, and, and, and the last time I saw him, I mean, we left off on good terms and he's like, yeah, he just doesn't like you. I'm like, what, what did I do? And that same week, I got a call from somebody else that says, hey, there's this guy you've been ministering to. He told me he wants to kill you. This was a few months ago. I'm like, what did I, I mean? The last time I saw that guy, I gave him a hug, you know, and he told me I was the best pastor in the world. I mean, he's like, yeah, he, he wants to kill you. And I'm like, where's this coming from? Well, you know, something happened. It had nothing to do with you, but now he wants to kill you. And I'm like, well, what exactly is going on here? You, and, and, and you see, when the Lord's doing something, there's going to be people that will naturally come against you. And God's word is very clear that he wants to protect his leaders. Now, go, go back with me to verse 6. There's something I want you guys to see. In verse 5, it says that Shimei started cursing. And in verse 6, it says that he threw stones at David and all the servants of the king, or King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. So not only did Shimei curse David, but he was also throwing stones at David. And let me say this this morning, we need to be careful not to be stone throwers. And we also need to be careful not to throw other things as well at people. When it came to Shimei and his anger and his hatred toward David, the thing that he decided to throw was he picked up a stone and he threw it. And most of us here this morning probably have never actually thrown a stone at someone. Anybody ever throw a stone at someone? Okay, maybe, possibly, maybe when you're 12 or something. But most of us, we don't throw stones at people. But we do throw things at people, don't we? We throw hurtful insults at people. We throw accusations sometimes that are untrue at people. We throw words out that divide people. Here in our text this morning, what the Lord really spoke to my heart was, stop being a stone thrower. Stop being the person, whatever's in your hand, whatever's in your mouth, on the tip of your tongue, would you let it go? Would you drop it? Would you not be quick to throw it? And it's not just for your, and it's not just for the other people. It's not just 
let, let me say it like this. It's not just for the person that you might hurt. Because when you're throwing a stone and you're throwing a word, it has the potential to hit someone and to hurt them. But let me say this this morning. Being a stone thrower is not only dangerous for others, but it's also dangerous for yourself. Leave something here in chapter 16. And would you fast forward with me a few chapters over to chapter 19 this morning? Go with me over quickly, 2 Samuel chapter 19. Let me explain to you guys what's going on a few chapters ahead. David is now past this running from Absalom. David has now resumed his place on the throne. He's now back and recognized by all, not just God, as the king of Israel. And David is now back in charge here in chapter 19. Now, guess who he happens to see in chapter 19? His stone thrower, Shimei. Shimei, who felt so powerful when David was on the run. Shimei that felt, man, I can treat this guy, even though he was just king yesterday, you know, I, I can treat him however I want right now, because, I mean, he has, or what it appears to be, he has no more power, he has no more authority. But guess what? Now David's back on the throne. He happens to run into Shimei again. Let's see how things go down this time. Look at verse 16 with me. 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 16. It says, And Shimei, the son of Gera, Benjamin, who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Just like last time. There Shimei is. He's in his city. David's coming through. Shimei quickly comes to greet David. Except in chapter 16, he's coming and he's cursing and he's throwing stones at David. Here in chapter 19, we're told that he comes to meet David. Keep reading with me, verse 17. It says, There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servants of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with them. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Verse 18, Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household to do what he thought good. Keep reading verse 18. It says, Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Don't let my Lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did to you on that day that my Lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. This is now the first time that David and Shimei see each other since chapter 16. David is a different man now, back on the throne. And how, what's Shimei doing now? He doesn't have stones in his hand. In fact, he's coming to David and he's humbling himself. He's coming to David. He's falling before David, the king. And he's letting David know, hey, remember, remember the other day when I was throwing stones at you and I was cursing you out and telling you how what a horrible guy you were and you're a bloodthirsty man? Oh, by the way, I didn't really mean that. Psych, you know what I mean? That, that, that's what's happening here. He's being humbled. The man who just a few chapters earlier is throwing stones at David is now bowed before David. He's, he's apologizing. Then in verse 21, one of David's men comes and says, hey, let's put him to death. 
I remember this guy, Shimei. Let's put him to death because he cursed the Lord's anointed. He deserves to die. David, now that you're back in power, let's do something about this man. And look at David's response, verse 22, and it says, And David said, What have I to do with you, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I'm king over Israel? Verse 23, Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Let's stop here for a moment because I think there's something super important for us to, to recognize. Being a, st- a stone thrower, I mentioned a moment ago, is not only dangerous to the person you're aiming at, but it also has the potential to be dangerous for you down the road. It has the potential to come back at you. You see, when you throw things out, when you hurl the insults, when you throw the accusations, when, when you try and cause division, those things have the potential down the road, a couple chapters later down in your life, to all kind of crowd you in. And so I want to encourage you this morning, whatever you want to throw, Whatever you have right there sitting in your pocket, you're like, I'm, I'm holding on to something and I'm, and I'm waiting for the right opportunity to throw it or to say it or to speak it. I would encourage you this morning to drop it, to put it down, to put it down. You see, you never know. You never know how it's going to come back against you. Go, go back with me to chapter 16. Let's continue in verse 9. It says in verse 9, Then, Ab- I, I keep messing up this guy's name, Abishai, the son of Z, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. So one of David's men jumps in. And this was while he was cursing and throwing the stones back in chapter 16. He says, David, would you let me kill him? This is the same man in chapter 19 that also wanted to kill him. He says, let me take off his head. How dare you speak to my king like that? David, let me at him. David, let me have him. You see, this man, one of David's servants, he was ready to exchange Shimei's unkind words and his unkind actions for death. But one of the things we see here in our text was that David showed great restraint by saying no. Keep reading verse 10. It says, but the king said, what have I to do with you? So let him curse. Let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? So, I mean, he thinks he's hearing from God. Let's let this thing play out. And so David says, no, we're not going to kill him. Verse 11, and David said to this man, to his servant, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamin? Let him alone. And let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. He says he's doing what God told him. 
Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. So he says, I'm going to let God handle this. And so if Shimei's right and God's behind all this and God told him to curse me, then that's between him and the Lord and the Lord's going to work it out. But if for some reason I've been afflicted by his cursing and God has not told him to come against me, then maybe the Lord will, will repay me good for all the cursing that I went through this day. In verse 13, it says, As David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. Let's stop here this morning. When David said no, he showed restraint. He showed surrender. Most of us, if we were David, let's be honest, and if someone was cursing us, if someone was throwing stones at us, also keep in mind, we're told back in the text, I think it was right around verse 6, that when the stones were coming David's way, they were not only hitting David, but that they were hitting those around David. They were hitting his people, his family, his household, his servants, those along his side from the left to the right. These stones were coming against David and those who David loved. If we were in his shoes, most of us probably would not have shown that restraint. Most of us would have done what? We would have looked to our servant who said, let me take off his head, and we would have said, do it. Go for it. We would have answered Shimei's stones, his evil deeds, his evil action, his evil words. We would have responded, most likely, with evil of our own. Take off his head. Take him out. Destroy him. But David, by saying no, he was actually reflecting God's heart. He was reflecting God's word. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, God's word says, do not repay evil for evil. And so if he's cursing, if he's throwing stones, what would be evil for evil? Evil for evil would be I'm going to curse back and I'm going to throw stones or I'm going to go next up, I'm going to go next level and I'm going to chop off your head. But God's word is very clear. The heart of God in this situation is not to repay anyone evil for evil. I want to finish with the story this morning. Would you go with me over to Matthew chapter 26? It's a story most of us know, most of us read. But I think the story there in Matthew 26 perfectly illustrates the heart of God in showing restraint, in learning to say no, in realizing that you might have the power to do something, the authority to do something, and yet surrender it. In Matthew chapter 26, in verses 47 through 54, we have the story of Jesus being arrested right before his crucifixion. You guys remember the story, Judas had betrayed Jesus? Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Absalom betraying David. Judas has betrayed Jesus. 
And there were those who were on their way now to arrest Jesus. And you guys remember the arrangement had been made that when Judas made his way over to that one and kissed him, that was the one that they were to go and arrest. And so Jesus comes, Judas kisses him, and all of a sudden we're told in verse 50 that the men step forward, they seize Jesus, and they arrested him. Let's pick up the story in verse 51. It says, and with that, one of Jesus' companions, we're told in, um, in the Gospel of John that it was Peter, one of Jesus' companions, Peter, reached for his sword. He drew the sword out and he struck the servant of the high priest, Malchus, we're told also in the Gospel of John. He went and he cut the servant's ear off. And so it all went down. The kiss happened, the arrest happened, and Peter just loses it. Oh, you're trying to arrest Jesus? I'm going to get my sword, and I'm going to do something with it. He accidentally slices off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, what's Jesus' response? Is it, good job, Peter, they deserved it? Is it, Peter, keep fighting, they're trying to arrest me? Is it Peter? That's my boy. You got my back. We're down. You're down. I've told you guys the story of uh, me coaching Little League. I think I shared the story a few weeks ago, but I was coaching Little League, and I'll make a confession to you guys this morning. I'm one of those coaches in Little League that's always arguing with the umpires. I'm just going to, I'm going to be honest. I'm that coach, right? I'm the annoying coach that's always arguing balls and strikes and come on umpire, you know, come on blue that, that, that you know, and that was me. I'm, I'm that guy. And so there was one particular game this season where things got a little bit heated between me and the umpire. I mean, he was making bad calls the whole game. Even the, t- even the coach on the other, and I'm just saying all this to support my stance on getting the flesh, okay? So, um, so the other guy, you know, so even the coach of the other team looked at me and said, man, the umpire just, he's horrible. He keeps making bad calls against you guys. So I had enough. I go, I go face to face with the umpire. And as I'm standing there, I'm like, man, you've been making bad calls the whole game. And I've been biting my tongue, but I can't take it no more. Because even the other coach is saying, you're making bad calls against my team. And we're, 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 we're going face to face. And, and my wife, my phone's buzzing because Christina's texting me from the stands. Stop, stop, you're embarrassing yourself. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm like, hold on, let me check my phone. my phone. And so I'm looking and she's like, please stop. And so anyway, so we're face to face. Good job, pastor, right? And so we're face to face there on the field. Anyway, so eventually we get separated. I go back, whatever. Game's over. After the game, there was this little short Mexican guy. He's one of the grandpas of one of, one of our players. He comes up to me, and, and he, he looks at me, and he says, Hey, coach, I just want you to know that when all that was going down on the field, I had your back. And I'm like, well, I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, man, I was at the gate. I was ready. He goes, because if you and that umpire were about to get down, I was about to jump in, man. I got you. I got your back. So anyways, and so I was like, oh, well, thank you for having my back, Grandpa, you know, orale, you know, whatever. And so, um, and by the way, if you think that was racist, I'm, I'm Mexican, okay, so I can say that, okay? So that was my people. So anyways, and so next game comes, same thing. I'm arguing with the umpire. 
And yet this umpire was, he was big, you know, he, 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 was a, he looked like a wrestler. He was a big guy, and so we're arguing about something. And all of a sudden, the umpire gets in my face, and I turn around, I'm like, where's Grandpa at? You know, like, like he, he, he told me he had my back. Where, 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 you know, I'm looking around for Grandpa. Grandpa didn't come to that game. Anyways, and so I say all that to say, I mean, I, I look at this situation, and I'm sure there's part, there's this part of Peter, like Grandpa at a baseball game, I got your back, man, I'm down. I got this sword in the car, you know? I mean, if anything goes down, I'm gonna bring it out with, you know, things are gonna happen. I got your back, Jesus. And yet, you know, for me, being a fleshly man, I look, I'm like, thank you, Grandpa, that's cool. Jesus, what does Jesus do? How does Jesus handle this, situ- this situation? Look at verse 52. Jesus doesn't say, hey, go to the car and grab the sword. He doesn't say, thank you, Peter, for having my back. Verse 52, he says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? When David shows great restraint in saying no, he was actually reflecting the heart of Jesus. Because here in in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus also showed great restraint. Like David, Jesus was betrayed. Like David, Jesus was now in a situation that he himself did not put himself in. Like David, Jesus now had enemies in his life. And Jesus, and, what, what, and like David, Jesus had people along his side who were willing to use the sword. But like Jesus, David said, put it away. Put the sword away. We're, we're, we're not going to fight like that. This is not how things are going to go down. He said, if I wanted to, I could call on 12 legions of angels. I, I can call to heaven. And heaven would come. And heaven would fix the situation for me. But I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to surrender it. This morning, you guys didn't close your Bibles. We're pretty much done. But let me finish with a thought this morning. Those of us who right now presently are in a situation where there's opposition in our life, let me say this to you. I know that the easy way out is the sword. The easy way out is, you know, the guy back there offering the chop off the head. The easy way out is, Grandpa, you know, I I got your back. Let's do this. And I know for some of us, it might, be, it might feel so tempting to just get out of whatever situation you're in, whatever obstacles in your life, by just, let's handle it with the sword. But I want to encourage you this morning, the sword is not the heart of God. The sword is not how Jesus would handle whatever your situation is. 
the way that Jesus would handle the situation is surrender. And the way that David handled the situation, it was surrender. I must surrender this to the Lord. Let's put the sword down. Let's not repay evil for evil. Let's not take matters into our own hands. But let's surrender. And let's see what the Lord does. Let's see how the Lord's going to deliver. Let's see how the Lord's going to bless. Let's see how the Lord's going to get us through. Let's see what God does. Let's give God a chance. That's what David did. That's what Jesus did. That's the example that's set for us in Scripture. Let's give the Lord a chance. Let's see what he does. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this important lesson, Lord, in in surrender. God, surrender is, is a word that we use oftentimes during worship. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that we sing about. It's something we talk about doing to the Lord, and yet, God, it, it, in everyday life, it's so hard. God, when there's situations and circumstances in front of us, Lord, it, it's hard to surrender. It's hard to let's see what you do. And yet, Lord, it's the example that's given to us in Scripture. It's the example that David gave us when he could have had the the head of Shimei cut off. Lord, it's the example that Jesus, you showed us when you could have said, Peter, get the sword out, but you said, Peter, put the sword away. Lord, this morning I pray that that might be a word for someone in this room that they're to put the sword away. That they're not to fight sword with sword. That they're not to repay evil for evil. But Lord, that they are to stand and they're to trust you. That they're to stand and they're to look to you. That they're to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And so God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. I pray that in the midst of of all these verses and everything that was talked about this morning, I pray that there was something in there that was for every single one of us. And so, God, we love you, we look to you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand.